Chicago didn't know what was coming for it when Al Capone arrived, and it's never been the same since. The Tommy guns, the cars, the suits, the fedora hats, the money, and the prohibition booze. Al Capone had everything, and he didn't mind killing people to keep it. The most famous mob boss of them all, he was the gangster gold standard. This is the story of Al Capone, the real Godfather. Alphonse Capone, Scarface is what they called him. Al Capone is probably the most famous gangster in history, and today he is our focus on blind history, the brand new season. Season five. My co-host, as always, Anthony Medera, and it's good to see you.、Um, it's been a while. It feels like much longer than it actually has been. Yeah, and it's great to be here. I get so excited when the when the new season starts. Well, I'm excited because people have been hassling me about starting a new season, and I said, "Well, we've got to have meetings first and decide who we're actually going to talk about and all the rest of it." So we decided to start with a bad guy, which people love. I love the bad guys. This guy is way more interesting than I thought he was, as often happens when we. Research these guys, but he's not Scarface with Al Pacino. Say hello to my、mm-hmm. little friend. He's not that, but he's all kinds of other good stuff. You know, the thing with with Al Capone is he was such an enigma. He had he had such a different side to him. I mean, he was hectic family. He was a、yeah. family man、mm-hmm. of the highest order, and so you know, and he had this conscience that people said when you know just before he died, he was talking to all the people he'd killed. And trying to ask for forgiveness, and wow! So, so he, he had a different side to him as well. Well, we got to start somewhere with Al Capone. I mean, he, he was the the son of immigrant Italian parents. He had about ten brothers and sisters, and yeah, some of、yeah. them got involved in the in the business, the business、yeah. with him later on, right? Yeah. So you had, I think it was nine. One of them died. At age one, so maybe that was where the ten came from. Okay, but yeah, so a lot of them did come into the business. Some of them got killed during the highest part of his his life or his、mm. career, as you might want to call it. But his parents weren't down and out. You know, his dad was a barber that came from Naples. His mom was a seamstress, and they had a big family, but generally a happy family. So they weren't they weren't broke. They literally came to New York six years before he was born. But it's just that where they moved to was rife with petty crime. And racketeering, sure. I mean, so, we've seen so many movies about that time in New York, yeah. And, and of course, it was pre-prohibition at that stage. But Joseph Kennedy did that. <laughs> I mean, well, let me rather say allegedly, but <laughs> allegedly, the place was still the the quickest way to make money was to do underworld things. Yeah. But the thing with Al Capone was that he looked to be a promising student. He did well in his grades, and okay, so he left in grade six, which was which then at four, which is quite young, and he was fourteen, which is maybe a concern. Yeah, but why did he leave? Because he smacked his teacher. <laughs> so he obviously had some anger issues, but and his teacher was a lady, so. So I didn't, that didn't go、That's、down well. That's not good. No, I don't、In、think these it, days I don't think that would go down very no. well either. So then he basically that was the last of his official education. But you'll see it play out later. He was very good with figures. He tried for a、mm. stint when he's when when Sunny was born, his only child. He went into a bookkeeping of something. He actually did like a legit ledger.、Uh, yeah, and, but but it, for a week. So or I'm two. interested. You say his his son Sunny, and we we I didn't really know about this at all. But Sunny was also the name of. You know the the character in the Godfather's son, yeah, the, the the eldest son who was gunned down famously in the first Godfather movie, and I wonder how much of those movies they did base on Al Capone's life because if you look at the caricature of a gangster in Prohibition America, the pinstriped suits, 
the fedora, the hairstyle, the, the hat, all of that stuff, the way he spoke, it mm. became like the model for all the others. And we've spoken about John Gotti mm. and Blind History before, but really John Gotti was like a a much more modern pale comparison 100%. of what Al Capone was. Well, John Gotti was, wouldn't last a month in Capone's time. No, and of course, these guys had the Tommy guns and, yeah. you know, they, they would actually take out their enemies yeah, and in they the were, streets. And, and the police. They, they were really, they were, they were a different breed. So how did it all start with Al? Where did he begin in New York? So he started getting involved in, in small gangs. So, so they were young kids running around. And then he actually met his mentor, which is Johnny Torrio. And Johnny Terrier was part of his life big time until Johnny Terrier said he'd had enough and went back to Italy. But he, he said he had enough because they were, they were they tried to shoot him. Yeah, but this is now they're still in New York, and there's another guy called Frankie Yale, and they really were his mentors. They owned brothels and pubs, bars, and Al was actually quite a strong individual. He was around six foot, but strong, like mm-hmm. 110 kilograms. So he was a powerful guy, and he started bouncing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually where he got his scar from. Um, he was bouncing the the one night actually at Frankie Yale's bar, and this pretty girl came into the into the bar, and he really took a liking to her. But her brother was was hectic, and they just got full of drink. And he kept saying, you know, he kept going there, and and she just kept batting him off. So he said in the end, "Honey, you got a nice ass on you." <laughs> so the brother had enough. So he came came at him, and he took his knife out, and he and he slashed at Al, and he cut him. On the cheek. Yeah, right down on the cheek. And he could, if it wasn't for them reacting quickly, uh, he would have died from it. Now, he never liked being called Scarface. He hated it. He even said that he got his scar from World War I. So he was embarrassed about it. And the whole, his whole life, it was a, wow. he hated Scarface. If somebody called him Scarface. And he used to, he used to never show that side of his face in pictures. Yeah. But that's where he grew up. And he got involved in some, allegedly as well, he killed two people. And yeah. the heat started building a bit with him because he was really a large in life of individual already at the age of 16, 18 years old. And so the heat started building. And, you know, Johnny Terrier had already moved to Chicago. And they think that Johnny needed to get rid of his boss. He was the underboss in the Chicago outfit. And Big Jim, there's, there's always Big Jim, <laughs> Big Larry, Big whatever. What these names. Yeah. yeah. So he wanted help and he needed a hitman like uh, Al. So, so you invited him to Chicago. So he went to Chicago, but I think Al tried to go straight, like I said, for like a day or two. <laughs> we became a bookkeeper. And those numbers, he used to run the numbers. He was very sharp when he finally went, got up to Chicago. So, so when he went to Chicago, I mean, what's interesting here is, first of all, he made one big enemy in his life. And this guy was just obsessed with trying to kill him. And he, he managed to thwart this. We'll tell the whole story about him in a second. Aiello. Um, but before we get to him, in Chicago, he was primarily involved in brothels, liquor, and racketeering. Yeah. You know, basically saying to people, you need our protection or we're going to burn down mm. your shop. <laughs> so the racketeering, 100% protectionism. Just, yeah, right. And getting stuck into politicians. He hated politicians. He said if you find a good lawman and that's an honest lawman, you just need to get him moved to another district so he's not in your way. Yeah. But – he says that he, he called, would do very well in South Africa now. Very well. Oh. He used to call the politicians swell snakes. So oh. whatever that meant, yeah. but it wasn't a compliment. No, it wasn't a compliment. And he had, he actually had no respect for them. And I think that made it easier for him. Now, what did he get into this fight with Aiello about? Because this was the guy who he had probably the longest running dispute with. 
Yeah, I think it was was related to the biggest rivals in Chicago. Antonio Lombardo. He was made the head of that society, right? And then Joe Aiello, who actually wanted that position, he believed Capone was responsible for this guy mm. getting the position. And that was where it all started. Yeah. But this Aiello guy sent, like, I don't know, 10, maybe 20 different people in different situations to try and kill to El try Capone. And, kill. and every time something saved him. He either found out about it, someone spilled the beans on Aiello's plan. He managed to uh, have someone who was faster and quicker. He just somehow escaped every time. It must have driven this other guy mad. But what he had to do, though, when that started happening with Aiello, that's when he started having the bodyguards. Okay. He always used to say, I don't have weapons on me. Always. I'm a businessman. Yeah. And uh, I give people what they want. That's it. But he had bodyguards, like prop, and you'd only travel at night. And if he took the train, take out the whole train. So, so he, he really the entire had, train. Yeah. So he had to really protect himself. And I think Johnny Torreo couldn't handle it anymore because he was, you know, they were together. So he was the big boss, Johnny, and, and Al Capone was his, basically his right-hand man. And the pressure was just too much for Johnny. So, you know, there's some reports say he went to jail and then went to Italy and some reports say he just went to Italy mm. because they had, they took him out. He went to hospital and when he was in his hospital bed, he said, Al, you take all of it. Didn't want it in here. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of pressure. But what Al tried to do is he needed to get control of Chicago. So, so he took out, there was a gang, the Northside gang. Yes. And Stian Obangian was the one that was running it. But he also loved flowers, this guy. <laughs> so he was a genuine gangster. <laughs> Who loved flowers. Yeah. And then he got murdered while he was trimming his chrysanthemums or something. <laughs> this is so, such a movie scene. Yeah. And it genuinely, he was murdered in his flower shop. And there was a subsequent one of his sidekicks were murdered outside the flower shop. They actually called it the flower shop. Wow. And obviously, they, they became more sophisticated. So, so Johnny Terrier really started making gangland more sophisticated. You had to have a front, you know, so you didn't, you know. But, I mean, Chicago at this stage and kind of forevermore because Chicago is still seen as a, a you know, a gangster city. It's still there's an underworld there when the police and the media and the crooks all are kind of in cahoots at some point. But that all started with Al Capone. What was the St. Valentine's Day massacre? Because that was where public um, love for him turned into public hatred for him. If I can just go a step back, because it already started, these names started turning, you know, where, they, where the people didn't love him so much was when he beat up the editor of the newspaper in Chicago. Okay. And that frustrated him so much, and then that, it escalated to the St. Valentine's Day massacre. But what happened with this individual, his surname was St. John, and You'd get these people in, in the world that said, no, I'm going to stand up against crime, people like Al Capone. And so he stood up against him to such an extent that his brothel was burnt down. Um, he was very upset when his brothel was burnt down. And, and so he, he. Wouldn't you be? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> anyway, so he, he, he decided to teach him a lesson. So that he beat him up to the inch of his life. Oof. But there were cops around that didn't do anything. So this guy went into a ball screaming and uh, he was in hospital for two weeks. And then when he on his way out, somebody paid his bill. And they thought that somebody that was, you know. Um, Family or friend. Yeah, or, you know, and also sympathetic to, to people standing up against Capone. And it was Capone that paid his he bill. He paid the bill, huh? He paid the bill. For the damage he'd inflicted. Exactly. But he said, I don't care. I, I'm going to go after Capone. So he went wow. after him still. So then the cop says, so he went to the cop's. You need to do something. So the cops said to him, come in tomorrow morning and we're going to discuss how we're going to get Capone. They came in. He went into a private room and who was sitting there with his fedora hat? 
Al Capone. He was sitting there on his own. He took out hundreds of thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollar bills. And St. John said, I'm still not. So Capone, you know, he, this oak was really upstanding. So he just bought the newspaper and they got rid of it, got rid of wow. the editor. But so much had been written about Al Capone that the tide had turned. Yeah. And so people started seeing him as this murderer and a thug. And but I mean, he did take, he, either he wasn't the murderer himself, but he ordered the killings. Correct. Or there is the story of him with a baseball bat smashing into people's heads. Yeah. Which some people say is true, some people say isn't. But either way, it added to the infamy mm. of his name. And the St. Valentine's Day massacre was just a step too far. They yeah. just killed too many people on one day. Correct. And they lined and, him up on a wall. Yeah, I mean, they pretended to be cops. Yeah. It was all very, very ugly. And I think probably even the most, let's say, the, the kind of people who are charmed by gangsters. And we've all watched these movies. Mm. And some of these gangsters are very alluring personalities, yeah. right? And Al Capone was probably the biggest personality in Chicago of that time or in America sure maybe in America and even that was not enough to save him at that point and and he had to he had to also spend a lot of time running between Florida Tennessee uh, Texas he'd, he'd be all over the country because he was becoming paranoid too he thought there were probably a lot of people who were trying to kill him and he had good reason to think that yeah you know that he would say famously he would say that um, if a cat falls out the tree if uh, somebody gets killed in a car accident, it's Capone did it. And then you'd also say, if somebody was killed in the World War, get Capone, get Capone. That's all everybody ever said. He, no. said, he said it. He said, everybody just wants to get me for anything that goes wrong in this world. So how did they eventually get him? It was tax. Tax evasion. So there was a prosecutor, the hangman prosecutor, who was also trying to get Capone. And he was shot by mistake by Capone's crew. <laughs> And then the heat just got too much. He had to leave town, and then they started catching him. Then, but they did arrest him a few times on, but like, for vagrancy, yeah, really a gun. St- stupid charges that, yeah. that didn't give him a long time in jail, or most of them he could shirk off. But they started finding slips of paper that that didn't add up in terms of the tax. Then they turned his bookkeepers against him, mm-hmm. and he went down. Yeah, that that he ran out of tricks. It, you could see from about 1930 onwards, it just got worse and worse. And there were some individuals that became famous for that that took him down. Elliot Ness agreed. You saw that in the movie The Untouchables. Correct. So that was a big part of you know these young guys that that were incorruptible. Now, I, I didn't know this, but he actually ended up in Alcatraz, which was new. It was newly built, and he was one of the, the prisoners in Alcatraz. He was also in the band while he was in prison. He played the banjo, I think. Yeah, he was. And he loved jazz music. He used to protect jazz singers when they came to Chicago. He'd give them bodyguards, make sure that they could, uh, they could stay in the best hotels, all of that kind of thing. So he did have a little bit of culture in him. He was immaculately dressed, always mm. pinstripe suits, polished shoes, hat, and he treated his wife absolute gold. Look, he got syphilis from, from showgirls. The prostitutes. Prostitutes. Yeah. But she never saw that as a problem because she knew that it didn't impact on the family. But what was quite sad, this part of his life was quite sad I me. found it very sad because I didn't even know that he, he actually died at home. I thought that somehow he died in prison, but he was eventually released because he'd started to lose it. I mean, by the time he died, they say he had the mental capacity of like a 12-year-old. Mm. But he had this syphilis, which was a neurosyphilis, so it had started to make his brain kind of fall apart. And he went back to – ultimately, he, he went to some asylum where they kind of tried to treat him. And he was one of the first people in the world to receive penicillin at that point, which 
I think was quite revolutionary. But of course, the disease had spread so far that they couldn't really save him. And he went to, to stay in Florida in Palm Beach for the last few years of his life. So he bought that massive estate in Palm Beach, and at the heart of his career, was they say it was worth $100 million. If you can imagine $100 million wow. in t- uh, 1920. That's a lot of money. And you know that supposedly Joseph Kennedy made huge money out of bootlegging, and, and a lot of people made massive amounts of money. If you can just look at our current situation under COVID, and you look at cigarettes, and you start seeing all the <laughs> sidelines that start yeah. popping up and alcohol. So these, he made a lot of money. So when they put him away, they put him in a, in a normal penitentiary and he took over. He, he apparently had a carpeted cell. Yeah. You could watch, you know, I, I saw a picture of his cell. He had lamps on tables. He yeah, had a little everything. writing bureau. He had paintings. Everything, he did, he, everything under control. Cause you obviously he had to pay the tax man $50,000 fine. It was a joke to him. So, so he had a lot of money. But then what they said, no, 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 um, you know, this can't work. So they sent him to this new prison. It used to be a military base that was run precisionly. Yeah. They didn't care who you were. Uh. So, Al, uh, you know, Al Capone had a strategy at Alcatraz. Stay out of trouble, get out in good behavior. And ultimately, he did leave after six years. He got out in good behavior. But he did have someone to protect him in there as well. There was one of the other gangsters who'd worked with him. But he got badly hurt in the laundry when he had to do laundry duty they they nearly killed him he was spent so much time in hospital and what they did in alcatraz they don't care both people that are fighting they put you in the hole and he was put in the hole and that mentally that broke his spirit al capone's spirit was broken in the hole and that was sad to see so this guy you know like i said six foot 130 kilograms at that stage biggest gangster american ever known they put him in a hole. He was finished. Mm. He spent a week in this black hole, and he didn't really recover from that. And then mentally started going sideways with the syphilis. So they let him out after six years, but straight into a hospital, mm. uh, like an asylum. The one hospital actually turned him away because they said, uh, you know, he's too, he's too infamous. Mm. We can't handle that. We don't want him in our, in our ward. So the last seven or eight years of his life was quite stable. And he was in Florida, and his grandchildren, so Sonny had four, I think, four daughters. And he loved his granddaughters, and he spent the last seven years of his life such a special time. And, and the FBI just said, you know, it's another family occasion for the Capones, another this for the Capones. He was doing nothing. I mean, it was, his brother said to him, let's go back to Chicago. Then he got excited, but his brain was cooked. Yeah. So. Well, ironically, the Chicago criminal underworld continued pretty much as it had been um, without Al Capone. In fact, they probably even grew their share of the market. Correct. But they weren't attracting as much attention, which yeah. was all the politicians were really after. And he lived large. I mean, didn't he also have his, his nasal septum was ruined from cocaine? Could have been, yeah. 100%. Yeah, and, and he, he drank heavily. Yeah. And, of course, the syphilis didn't help. So yeah, some of it's inevitable. Yeah. You kind of would have expected it, but what a what a life! I mean, really, the guy lived large. He he was the the prototype gangster. There's, he was. there's no one who comes close. And what he did was he he should lock up all areas. So when he got a lot of heat out of Chicago, he moved to Cicero, which is a which was a town just down the road. But when you talk about voter intimidation that we often see in Africa, and that you know in some of the governments, if they didn't want to vote for his crew. They'd murder or kidnap them. He would kill the guys. Fear and intimidation was what he was about. Incredible. You gave that uh, the quote earlier on. He said, I'm just a businessman. I give people what they want. Exactly. Probably the most famous thing he said. El Capone, a gangster, proper gangster. Don't believe these modern day, you know, also rans. This guy was the, the real deal. 
Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's conspiracy theories all around Chicago that Frank Sinatra was very close to, to these guys, to the <laughs> outfit. And Frank Sinatra introduced the outfit to Joseph Kennedy. Oh, wow. Conspiracy theory. Oh, wow. Then Joseph Kennedy wanted to ensure that they got the Chicago ticket. Mm-hmm. And they say in inverted commas, we got you into the White House. And so they got Jack Kennedy into the White House. But then what happened was they say, once again, that, that Jack and Bobby crossed them during their tenure and they took them out. But that's a whole different story.